Welcome to the Dewhawk Digest, the podcast for all things Loris College. For the past 183 years, Loris College has welcomed students to study under the tutelage of an incredible faculty. Including staff and college supporters, a large number of individuals have spent time on campus before moving on with their careers and lives. But what if some of them never left? I'm Robert Waterbury, Assistant Director of Campus Communications, and then in this slightly different episode, we're going to take a peek into some of the lore on campus as we discuss the ghosts of Loris College. Now, this is when I would normally introduce my guests for the episode. Typically, it's a student or faculty, staff member or alumnus here to discuss current events or updates from the campus and beyond. This time, however, the guests who would be most knowledgeable are a bit beyond my reach to contact. Instead, I'm going to share a history and some tales provided by individuals across campus and let you decide what is fact and what is fiction. I might add that those who graciously agreed to share their stories definitely see these as fact. We start at the top, the top of campus in Kane Hall. Originally called Loris Hall, Kane was erected in 1913 and dedicated on June 8, 1914. It was primarily a residence hall with 156 rooms on the second, third, and fourth floors, as well as penthouse suites on the fifth floor, available to both students and faculty. The basement contained a chapel, recreation room, gymnasium, showers, and small bowling alley. Electrical lighting and steam heat throughout the building were considered modern conveniences for the time. In 1939, in conjunction with the college's centennial, the building was renamed in honor of two former archbishops of Dubuque and chancellors of the college, Most Reverend Joseph Kane and Most Reverend James John Kane. No relation. It would serve as the home to students for over 90 years until May 2005, when it ceased to be a residence hall and transitioned over to the Central Administrative Home for Loris. It has seen a number of renovations and is now home to the Francis J. Noonan School of Business, as well as the kinesiology and athletic training programs. It is also the home to some otherworldly phenomena. Over the years, students and staff have heard strange voices when no one is around, particularly one of a female voice whispering in the hallways she also seems to know individuals' names. Footsteps can be heard on the fifth floor, which is currently unfinished and inaccessible. On occasion, a light also appears on in one of the gabled windows on the fifth floor. Remember when I said the floor was inaccessible? On occasion, someone will see an object or movement in their peripheral vision, but a quick check results in an empty search. Ghostly orbs of light have also been seen traversing through the basement. One recurring sighting has been reported on the second floor. One of the doors to the former residential rooms is rumored to have a ghostly face appear on it, potentially the face of a former student who had a tragedy befall him. When the face first appeared, the original door was replaced, but the face has reappeared on the replacement door as well. It was painted over, but the face seems to be persistent. It comes back. The last time the face was seen by two individuals who described a red shape that seemed to seep through the coat of paint to form a face with a long beard. Due to reconstruction, the original room no longer exists, but the door still does. It's kept in storage away from the public. Perhaps the ghostly face still remains. 
The next stop on our supernatural tour takes us to the oldest building on campus, Hoffman Hall. In August 1853, the city erected a building to serve as a hospital for the city of Dubuque. Operated by the Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, its focus was to care for patients during the cholera epidemics sweeping through the area. After the outbreaks were under control, the hospital's need had passed and was discontinued. The building was converted into a boarding school for young ladies from 1858 until 1865, when the school moved downtown, leaving the building vacated. That coincided with the end of the Civil War, so the United States government rented the building. Dubbed the barracks, it was used to provide housing for soldiers returning from the conflict. In 1873, Bishop Hennessy took over the structure and moved students in as part of St. Joseph College, and the building was officially named St. Joseph Hall. Eventually, the original building was demolished and a new one was erected on the same site in 1878. Two additional wings were added in 1884 and 1902, then a final addition featuring a chapel and theater were added in 1909. In the 1980s, the building went through an extensive facelift with some areas being refurbished and others being raised and completely rebuilt. Despite all the changes to the building, some elements of the past seem to have remained. Students who have put in long nights working on projects have heard strange noises while alone in the building. They might hear footsteps in empty hallways or hear doors opening and closing at the behest of unseen hands. The final wing added to the building seems to house the most supernatural activity. St. Joseph's Chapel regularly hosts mass, attended only by the ghostly silhouette of a man standing at the altar. Ghostly orbs of light also float through the room, and on one occasion, campus security heard an odd clinking sound like that of glasses tapping against each other. After it stopped, security assumed it was from the heat turning on, but when the sound returned, it was much faster and louder, and clearly independent from the radiator. One otherworldly visitor seems to be a fan of the arts. Multiple people have reported seeing a man in a Civil War-era military uniform in the auditorium, If you enter St. Joseph Theater at just the right time, you might see him settled in his favorite seat. He is not the only ghost inhabiting the theater. Thespians have heard growls while down in the dressing room below the stage, and it seems there is one ghost who is not ready to give up the spotlight. A common sighting has been the shape of a man standing center stage in a blackened theater. Perhaps he is taking the surroundings or reciting a favorite soliloquy, but either way, when he is finished, he walks off stage left and disappears. Another supernatural hotspot, the most haunted place on campus according to some, is Hennessy Hall. Situated on the west side of campus facing Alta Vista Street, Hennessy has a somewhat complex history. Built in 1906, the building was originally home to the Sisters of the Good Shepherd and their efforts to provide accommodations for wayward girls. In 1915, due to proximity to the relatively new Loris Hall, The sisters sold the building to the college, and the interior was promptly remodeled to serve as the main building for teaching the sciences, and named Science Hall. In conjunction with the college's centennial celebration of 1939, Science Hall was renamed Hennessy Hall in honor of former Archbishop John Hennessy. After St. Joseph Hall of Science opened in 1963, Hennessy was converted to general classroom space, with a new health center also established there. It remains that way today, hosting classes throughout the day. Once the sun sets on Loris' campus, however, Hennessy seems to take on a different life. 
Some who work in the building don't linger long after sunset if they can help it. Disembodied voices linger through the old building, particularly the cries of a baby, most likely tied to the building's original purpose. Lights flicker in outlets no matter how often they are repaired, and some noises with no obvious source are regular occurrences. Members of campus security have found lights on after dark. Not an uncommon thing across campus, but when they turn them off in Hennessy, something turns them all back on again moments later. Then there is one individual's up-close and personal encounter with something. Standing at the top of the building's wooden staircase, this person was alone in the building when they felt a firm tap on their right shoulder. A quick look revealed no one there, but a strong cold sensation washed over them. By the time they hurried out of the building, their acquaintance who was waiting for them noticed their disheveled condition and touched their hand, which was ice cold, on a warm evening. The final stop of our unique tour takes us to Christ the King Chapel. In June 1945, Archbishop Henry Roman announced a building program to include a new chapel for Loras College. At the time, space on campus was at a premium, and the current chapel, then located in the basement of Cane Hall, had been moved up to the building's fourth floor. On September 18, 1947, the new chapel's first mass, which is also the opening mass of the school year, was held, and Christ the King Chapel was dedicated on October 25, 1947. In addition to serving the campus as a place of worship, the chapel serves as the final resting place to three individuals with significant ties to the college. One of those individuals was the catalyst for the construction of the chapel in the first place. When Reverend Aloysius Schmidt, a 1932 graduate from Loris was killed aboard a battleship during the attack on Pearl Harbor, it would jumpstart efforts to construct Christ the King. Schmidt was 32 years old when Japan launched a surprise attack against the American naval base Pearl Harbor the morning of December 7, 1941. That morning, Schmidt was hearing confessions on board the USS Oklahoma when four torpedoes slammed into the ship. The lower decks quickly filled with water, trapping sailors in the ship. Survivors said as it capsized, Schmidt refused to escape choosing instead to help push 12 men through a portal to safety. Schmidt, tragically, would not make it out. His chalice, prayer book, and other personal belongings were recovered from the ship's wreckage and delivered to the college in 1943. When Monsignor Michael Martin received the items, he felt the chapel should be built as a memorial to honor Father Schmidt. He shared his idea with the faculty and board, and a plan was put into motion. Seventy-five years after his death, Reverend Schmidt's remains were identified, and he was laid to rest in the chapel in October 2016. His artifacts and medals were on display in the entryway. Once he was interred, staff working in Kane Hall offices closest to his resting place began to periodically smell old cigarette smoke wafting through the air, smoking being one of Schmidt's pastimes in life. That distinct stale odor still wafts into the building on different times during the day and night. Also taking their eternal rest in the chapel are Harry and Flora Wallert, who are interred in the building's crypt. Harry Wallert was one of the most significant contributors to the growth of Loras College. The president of the Dubuque Packing Company, he identified the importance that the college played in not only the growth of the students at the college, but also the college's impact on the community. He was the major benefactor for the Wallert Memorial Library, St. Joseph Hall of Science, and the San Jose Natatorium. It now seems as if the couple are living their best afterlife. There are multiple reports of sightings of Harry and Flora together in Kane Hall. Some have claimed to see Harry pushing his wife in her wheelchair down the hallway, or at least the sound of his footsteps shuffling on the floor. 
On other occasions, the sounds of music can be heard coming from the organ in Christ the King Chapel. It seems Flora, a pianist in her spare time, still enjoys the chance to play music. In most cases, the music stops abruptly when the chapel doors are open. However, there are a few instances where those who happened to hear her siren song found more than just the music. In those instances, they could see Flora practicing her craft, accompanied by Harry sitting nearby enjoying her efforts. I hope you enjoyed this somewhat different look at Loris. Do any of these stories sound familiar to you? I know there are plenty more I haven't touched on, and if you have some unexplainable stories from Loris, we'd love to hear them and maybe include them in a future episode. You can email your tales to me at robert.waterbury at loris.edu. Thank you for listening to this episode. To find more podcasts as well as news and features about Loris, visit daily.loris.edu. We hope you enjoyed these supernatural tales from Loris College, and will join us next time for another episode of the Duhawk Digest. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Happy Halloween, and go Duhawks! Hawks!